Hey everyone, Brett here. Riftwalkers has always been a show that often tackles mature themes and situations, but this week's episode does have moments of graphic descriptions that some may find disturbing. We're committed to telling the best story out there, and it's because of you, our listeners, that we get to. So that being said, thank you, and here's Riftwalkers. After exhausting their stay at Lord Dacus's estate, the party traveled once more to the university at Mainstay to make use of the hidden teleportation circle deep underground. As Val took them there, and everyone prepared, they now stand at the ready, armed with their new weapons, their old belongings safely stored in Vamok's demiplane. Now, aligned in the circle, Luna at the head, she stands ready to send them off to face the final aspect in their fight against the Valors. With a silent look, she meets each of your eyes in turn, confirming that you are ready. Then she lays her hands on the stone altar before her, whispers something under her breath that you can't quite hear, and then all of you are swallowed by darkness. You feel yourselves falling a great distance as rushing wind whips past your head, deafening, and as you strike the ground, feeling as if you only fell a few feet, each of you are knocked prone, rolling to a stop on warm stone. Broken cobbles lie before you, membranous red silk going through each etching on the ground and extending in grotesque webs up to stone pillars that line this hall that you found yourselves in. Torchlight and candlelight illuminate the world around you from great twisted metal chandeliers of pitch black iron. As you all get to your feet, taking in your surroundings, Cad just wipes himself off and kind of flicks this red gunk from his fingers. Well, this is about exactly what I expected when it comes to this Valor. I already shudder at what we're going to find the further we go into this. And I am not sure how much you've been filled in on this, Cad, but... We do have a bit of a personal relationship with this particular Valor. We, um, happen to be the reason why he exists. Yeah, I gathered that. <laughs> <laughs> well, no reason waiting around then. And Rolandir pulls out his sword and starts walking down the hall. The hall is quite short, truth be told, and at the end are a simple set of double doors of rotting wood barely held together as is, except for the dark bands of iron that otherwise form a bit of reinforcement. It's slightly ajar, and as you push it open, you see before you a great gray step. As Rolandir pushes the door open, you see before you, laid out in a valley of sorts, a city of gothic buildings, and above you, a blood-red sky hidden behind black clouds that are crackling with intermittent dry lightning. This valley seems to be like a graveyard, but each grave were itself a whole mausoleum, entire churches, cathedrals, and each of them are spattered with blood, caked in dirt and decay and remains, human and non-human alike, strewn across the ground, scattered over the steeples and held aloft on great pikes, their heads, arms, and entrails hanging low. 
you are in Miralag's domain. Upon their arrival, Bartholomew is still looking ill. Their arrival into this segment, opening the door and seeing this uh, graphic view, he turns to Rolandir, who kind of just announced, hey, this is all our fault in the first place. And he just says, so you are telling me that you and some of your old friends are responsible for creating the being whose favorite piece of interior art seems to be a human body. Well, not just me. And Rolander points at Val and at Mick. They they were in on it too. I was very highly complicit, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Rolandia, for revealing that. I'm going to have to question your judgment, and I don't like to do that. I like to think of you all as fine people. However, and he takes a moment. It's a lot to take in. So he quickly empties what little he had left in his stomach onto the ground before turning back and saying, I'm not quite sure I understood exactly my situation prior to our arrival in this place. Now, I don't need the story now, but can I ask, did you all have a reason for the actions that took you to this point? Because it really seems like a fault of judgment to create a being of this temperament. I assume it was accidental, but did the acts that you did while accidental at least seem like they would have a different outcome? Buddy, you must understand. If you were in our position, you would have done the same. Would I? Mostly because it was an accident, and we didn't understand that we were going to make a valor. But besides that, let's carry on. Killing the man who then became Miralag, that was very intentional. We meant to do that entirely. But yes, the outcome was, like you said, entirely accidental. Which, I guess at this point, may or may not matter. Perhaps it was fate, perhaps it was destiny, and perhaps it was just that. A coincidence of timing and who knows what not. He was a vile person, he's a vile Valor. I don't know that we should be surprised. As this conversation is taking place, a single figure has stood up from the ground among the many carcasses that are tossed about and starts shambling toward you. There's a great many stone steps that lead down from the door of this chapel that you stepped outside of, and this figure begins its ascent. You can see from here it's... About six feet tall, perhaps male, but you can't honestly be certain. What little skin is left on its body has been flayed beyond recognition. A large metallic contraption that seems a mix between a rib cage and a spider is attached to its abdomen, where the legs, quote unquote, are then spread out behind it, extending its severed skin like wings similar to what you might find on, like, an autopsy patient or a Viking blood eagle. And it's the only thing that's moving. Oh, things are actually moving quite a lot. <laughs> Shambling, pulsing masses in the streets that you can't quite differentiate between one body and the next, though this is the only one that seems to have addressed your presence as it continues up toward you. This doesn't look good. Do you think that is the aspect? Should we ask it? Great idea, Val. Why don't you go try? <laughs> okay. Um, can Val have claimed that staff from the pile of weaponry that we collected last time? Yes. Okay, Val is going to take like a step down towards this creature walking towards them and point this staff at it and say, Have you come to parlay with us? 
The creature continues walking up the steps until it comes to a landing about halfway between the bottom and the top where you currently stand. And when it reaches that landing, it bows deeply, its head and arms in a somewhat grotesque curtsy, as you can see its exposed spine when it bends over. And when it stands back up, it's close enough to speak. And as it looks back up at Val, it says, Driven to the domain of the great heathen, what is it you wish? We would beg an audience with the infant Sin. The sin is first and terrible. Do you consider yourselves worthy? Well, he would not exist if not for us, so yes, we do. Then you are the ones that the Lord owes a great debt to. Your coming has been foretold. You are expected. If you would. And it beckons you to follow him. Val will glance back at the rest of the group, but we'll follow. Everyone just lets Val go off on his own. <laughs> See ya! Tell Bye, us! Bye! Have fun! We look Val forward to your return! <laughs> As close, the chapel door closes. Door and leave me here? <laughs> Rude. I mean, yeah, Vamok will follow as well. Um, Mick will follow as well, but will ready his smitter by his side, so... Rolander follows, twirling about his sword in a playful manner aside. Bartholomew will follow his condition appearing to worsen with the increased level of somewhat grotesque horrors that surround him. Brynjir gives a look to his brand new gear. He feels pretty confident in his ability to deal with anything that they face, and he follows Val. The gear includes the obsidian axe and the modeled wooden shield that he retrieved, as well as a, a longsword instead of his usual warhammer. As your party reaches the landing and then steps further downward to the dirt and cobblestone road. Every so often, passing these you know, mounds of collected carcasses, though the closer you are to them, it's unclear what percentage of these piles is alive or dead, though all of it is rotting. There is an unbelievable stench of death and iron that pervades your senses. And if Barty's already sick, it's definitely making him sicker. And if anyone isn't too uh, practiced at holding their lunch, you may fear for losing it. But as you pass these graves and mausoleums and churches, you hear things, screams, and other odd noises emanating from inside that echo off this broken stonework all around you. This being that's leading you through these streets, you could call them, turns to who's ever closest, who I assume is Val, as he was the first to walk down, and it says, Are you not afraid of the shadow? Is that a specific entity, or just the general pallor of this place? It is what occupies all that enters here. It is what brings us to our master. It is what takes us and traps us. Is that how you came to be here? I came to be here through my own sins. I indicted myself, and we all serve as our own judges. If you wish to meet the infant sin, you will have to sit upon your own tribunal. Is the shadow part of that? The shadow is part of everything. Should we fear it? If you do not, 
It would be pleased to. Val glances over his shoulder at whoever is closest behind him. Brynir will be there. Just kind of making a face of like, what should we do about that? You guys ever notice that Val is like cool as a cucumber whenever he's talking to giant otherworldly beings and has to debate things out? But you put him in a group with a bunch of like 10 year olds and he's like, hi guys! Should I be afraid of the shadows? <laughs> Hey, he, at least otherworldly beings make sense to him. Fellow teenagers do not. <laughs> so your destination seems to be a immense cathedral that dwarfs every other structure that you can see. It stretches on for further than you can actually make out beyond the steeples and rooftops. It seems to just fade into the horizon. As you approach it, you walk up massive stairs approaching enormous doors that stand at least 500 feet tall. And as you do so, this creature that's been leading you kneels, dips its head onto the ground, and as it prostrates itself before this entrance, you hear a great clanking, clicking, moving of metal and machinery as these enormous doors start to slowly going to be a minute. What's this creature doing <laughs> while the doors are opening? Is he just still prostrate? Yes. You can clearly see its lungs through its back folds of stricken muscle, breathe, like expanding and contracting. And these wings of flesh just like kind of vibrating in this slight sickly breeze. Val will take a knee respectfully, but he's not going to bow his head or be all the way on the ground but sort of, like, put himself into a posture of respect. Who's standing next to Cad? The mock. The man. Cad just, like, looks at Val, take a knee, and looks at this creature lying prostrate, own look of disdain on his face, and he just turns to Vamak, who's next to him, is like, I don't know about you, but I don't think I owe this thing a god's damn thing. I was not planning on bowing to it. If it is at all similar to the other aspects... It does not warrant any sort of respect or honor. And it's actually, while they're having that conversation, you see Brynir grab Val by the collar and pull him upright and says, Valors, much less aspects, don't deserve any devotion. I'm trying to keep myself alive for a little bit longer so that we might fight this thing, not showing it actual respect. (laughs) Is this thing still right next to Val? (laughs) This creature that has led you thus far. Its hands are splayed on the ground, its fingernails elongated beyond their natural proportions, kind of scrapes across the stone as it lifts its forehead, and the muscle and pus and blood just kind of stretches before snapping back onto itself, a bit still leaving behind on the stone floor, and it looks up, at Val and Brynir and the others, its eyes and expression landing on Brynir and saying, You would do well to remember your respect. Um, I assume that everybody in the party can hear this, so Mick immediately takes a knee as Val did before. You have done nothing that deserves my respect. Uh, Brynir, uh, dear, um, you better get on your knee and at least cooperate. Let's just say it that. We'd rather be on its side as long as we can, if you get what I mean. 
I don't think that I should put off my values to put forth the task at hand. Suit yourself. I'd rather, as Val said, stay alive as long as possible. And that usually involves playing nice. It makes no difference to me. But if you do not elect to kneel, at least take this. And Mark will grab his wrist very, not not harshly or anything, in a firm grip. And as he removes it, there's the familiar mark of death ward on your wrist. It could come in handy. And Vamak will then just kneel very nonchalant. Val will kneel again. You start to hear from behind you cries and screams and moans as doors to different parishes and chapels swing clattering against chain and stone as veritable hordes shamble into these graveyard streets and start walking toward the cathedral. They are all as deformed and tortured as this being before you, each of them displaying some kind of inflicted disfigurement, all of them pockmarked with scars or boils and blisters. Some of them, their limbs, their feet, hewn down to the bone as they walk along, each step bringing nothing but pain. And as they reach the base of this cathedral, the stairs upon the top of which you stand, this horde halts and waits. And at this point, the doors have opened maybe about ten feet across. This opening is. And this creature that has led you thus far stands once more and beckons you to follow it inside. Val will do so. Are they coming with us? Verlander says, pointing towards the numberless horde at the foot of this staircase. They will face their own demise in time. Oh, lovely. And Rolandier follows. So cheerful here. They must wait their turn. They must wait. Unlike you, for you are the anointed. Oh, nice. (laughs) Well, as you continue to follow him, just inside the doors in this antechamber of sorts, where you can see through gilded pillars this enormous cathedral hall spread out in front of you, There's a large basin made of tarnished silver that is just bubbling with this red viscous fluid. As you all approach with the creature, it dips its thumb and forefinger into the basin, and then with its finger marks one of its cheeks and then draws a line across its forehead with its thumb coated in blood. It then reaches out its hand, holding its palm upright for who's ever next in line behind it to step forward. I'm pretty sure it's Val again, so he will do so. So then you take its hand. I mean, yeah. The clammy (laughs) flesh and exposed bone that scrapes across your skin pulls you forward as it then dips its fingers again, drawing one vertical line on your cheek and another with its thumb horizontally across your forehead. It then rather forcefully tugs you past the basin, kind of pushing you closer to where the larger cathedral hall is, and then it beckons the next one forward. Brynir will step forward, kind of has a bit of a look of disgust and uneasiness with what's going on, but he'll go forward with it. The creature dips its thumb, fore, and middle finger in the basin this time, and with its thumb draws a line from your brow to the tip of your nose, and then it takes its fore and middle finger and draws them from the corners of your lips down onto your neck. 
and then pulls you, again, quite forcefully, past itself to where Val stands. And then it holds out its arm again. As they're going up, and Val and Brynir have just done this, and, you know, the whole experience, walking through the town, seeing the hordes coming through. Rolandir's been, you know, trying to accrue as much information as he can about what exactly this being of the infant sin and its attributes and stuff like that are. Is anything giving him any sort of inclination, or is anything giving him any sort of hint as to what exactly this being is, what its desires might be, or what potentially its weaknesses might be, just from the world it lives in, any background knowledge he has on this Valor, etc. No. Cool. Just from observing the world around you, this grotesque scene, it's really hard to garner any kind of helpful information that would help you in any upcoming fight. Okie dokie. Then Rolander goes forward, and he does as the other two have done. The figure stares at you for a second, and then dips its pinky and its thumb into the basin. And then it lays its palm right across your face, and then with those two fingers draws a line from your ears to your nostrils. Vumok will look at Cad, shrug, and then head over towards uh, this being, who I presume has stretched out his hand for the next person. That's correct. And as Vamok walks up, it takes its whole palm and dips it oh, in the basin. come on. And then with one arm extending behind your head, it presses its print onto your face. The bottom of its palm just above the nose, the fingers extending upward onto your bald head. The creature then, after pushing Vamok along, beckons forth once more, and it's Cad that just grunts and like, this is disgusting, and steps forward. And the creature takes its thumb once and draws a line on Cad's left cheek, dips its thumb again, draws a vertical line on his right cheek, and then a third time, and draws a line of the base of Cad's nose across his lips, which Cad really like screws his face up when it does that, <laughs> onto his chin and then shoves him along, and then waits for the next Um, Mick will go. Um, he was next to Barty, just making sure he was okay, but he moves forward. Uh, Barty does not look okay. <laughs> yeah, I, you know what? M Mick can see that, and it's very apparent. He can't really do anything, but he's just keeping an eye out for Barty. This creature, its fingers about two or three inches longer than they should be already, and then, as I said, fingernails dangerously out of proportion slowly wraps its hands around Mick's head like so. And then as it takes you over to beside the basin, it leans into it with its face, puckering its lips, and then plants a bloody kiss on Mick's <laughs> forehead. <laughs> Ugh, nasty. Oh, Mick, upon this happening to him, kind of turns to the others and goes, still not the worst kiss I've ever had. And <laughs> walks forward. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that just leaves the puking Barty. Okay, so puking Barty, actually, while Mick was getting a big kiss planted on the face, <laughs> oh, um, he's really bad now. He is not in a good way. I'm talking cold sweats, the shakes. He sees this weird body horror stuff around him, and it is unclear if this sickness is of physical or mental origin. However, he does not want to get covered in weirdo blood. Instead, while the spider guy thing is 
putting blood on Mick's face, he's going to scarf down a potion of invisibility and see if he can snake his way around us. After it finishes with Mick and pushes Mick along, it locks eyes with the invisible Bartholomew. Bartholomew is just going to try to walk past. And it holds out its hand as if to stop you. And looking directly in Bartholomew's eyes, it says, Do as I do. And then it turns, it steps up to the basin, it cups its hands into the blood, and slurps. Oh no, Barty! Oh no. Bartholomew is going to use the circlet he found while in the the area downstairs, the, the, the catacombs. And he is going to try to teleport beyond the basin. Like, how much room is there beyond the basin where he could conceivably go and try to hide himself? Well, you're in this larger antechamber. Before, there's this kind of layer of, like I said, gilded pillars then walking through those would lead you into the main cathedral hall. Okay, in that case, he's going to try to teleport behind one of these gilded pillars, you know, kind of like... (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead, Ryan. Bartholomew is successful uh, utilizing this power maintained within this circlet, and you are briefly teleported just past these pillars into the cathedral hall proper hidden at least uh, from this creature from direct view, not just on account of being invisible. I like the word briefly there. And this creature turns to the assembled party and then points to where Barty has already gone on ahead. And it says, He has made his choice. And you all yours. Continue. I'm gonna say that Mick at least moves on. I assume the rest of the party joins. Yeah. Mm. Yup. Let's head in and meet the infant Sin. If he's in here. Barty just explodes instantaneously. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out it wasn't blood at all. It was fruit punch. <laughs> and as everyone steps into this main cathedral hall, you see that it still is not the entirety of this complex. A large wall and dais stand at the terminal end here where a set of pedestals has been constructed chiseled out of this gray black cracked marble the pedestals are large enough for any one of you to stand upon and low enough to be reached quite easily as the creature steps forward it kneels before these three pedestals And then shimmering into existence atop each of them is a carbon copy of this very being, appearing in this same marble texture and form, locked in three different states, one an exaggerated pain, the other a deep despair, and the final one a strange sick pleasure. And then the creature stands and these marble figures shimmer out of existence once more, and then it beckons Val forward to kneel where it was, and you see there is a small circular indentation in the ground, different etchings in this floor that mark where it was and where you should presumably go. Val will follow and do as it did. What three figures take shape on top of the pedestals? The first 
figure of Val is um, him at the forge in the amber, sort of frozen in this position of hammering that sword. The second is Val fully on his knees, sobbing uncontrollably. And the last is him turning his back, conceivably on the people that he loves and cares about. And as Val then stands, these marble figures, still lives, fade in a shimmer. Cad, grunting, (laughs) this is disgusting, steps forward, let's get this over with, and kneels down in the circle. One marble figure takes shape, and you see Karagas, a perfected version of him, standing proud and bold and all-powerful, crushing beneath its feet all other versions of itself and others that it got to get there. The middle pedestal figure forms, and you see Karagas gripping another version of himself, a blade having been slashed across its neck, and a deluge of black marble blood spewing outward. And the last one is a small Karagas, but seems to look as if it's a child, in clothes that are too big for it, kneeling on the ground in a puddle of what could be its own tears or blood. And Cad spits and stands, and the figures fade. The first of Vamok's statues depicts Goliath Vamok, standing above another Goliath who looks a little bit older than him. This other Goliath on the ground has his leg caught in a bear trap, and hands are rising up from the ground and grasping at this other Goliath that is contorted in pain and reaching out towards Vamok. And you can see on Vamok's face, he's just looking down and he's got a really nasty smile as he witnesses this other Goliath's demise. Would you classify that as satisfaction? Very much so. Sweet revenge, satisfaction, contentment, glee even. You can tell he was very pleased at this outcome. The second statue, again, is Vamok in Goliath form, again standing over someone, standing over a Mazkin this time, his foot on the Mazkin's throat, and the Mazkin's left arm has been severed from his body and is being held in Vamok's right hand. Vamok's face, however, it looks a bit more worn than the first one, and instead of smiling, it's grimacing. And you notice that nothing really matches. The body parts don't fit. The eyes are strange. One looks like it came from an animal. One looks like it was heavily tattooed. And yeah, he grimaces as he looks down at this dying Mazkin. And the Mazkin, again a reflection of the self, seems to bear no ill will toward Vamok. The third and final statue that Vamok sees shows him as a Mazkin, arms clasped with another figure, clad in plate mail armor. This armor is strikingly similar to what was shown by Vale when he depicted Air. And behind this version of Vamok, there are multiple bodies on the floor, each wearing the garb of his current companions. Vamok examines each of the three statues gets to his feet and leaves. And these marble forms shimmer into nothingness atop the pedestals as the circle awaits its next subject. 
So Mick comes down to where Vermont was before and kneels down. And upon the first pedestal, he sees himself duplicated in a massive pile of people. On the bottom, people more squished than those on the top. And one solitary version of himself climbing to the top and reaching up to... From your image, it looks like the sky, but reaching up to something. And on the second pedestal, you see a much younger version of Mick, a small child who is in the fetal position and cradling himself on his side and looks to be petrified, at least, again, to what you're seeing. Then on the third one, you see two versions of himself. One is reaching, is on his knees and is reaching up trying to grab the hem of Mick's jumpsuit and the other one, it, it looks as if the other one's almost in mid-sprint. And Mick sees this. It kind of stops him in his tracks. He gets a little nervous and scared, but then gently returns to his normal jovial composure and gets up and moves with the others. The figures fade. Rolandier then follows Mick into the circle, takes his position kneeling, and his three statues come into existence. The first of which is him wearing his old plate mail, great sword in hand, and there's blood just seeping from every part of him, not just his sword, but also his hands and his face and his clothing. And it's not his blood, but it's very clearly coated onto him. And in the reflection of his eyes are just small flames and he's grinning the second statue is a younger teenaged Rolandier stripped of his armor and clothing kneeling and there are large gashes and wounds that almost appear to be being formed on his back and he's looking up to the sky in what can only be described as agony and the third is Rolandier exactly as he is now walking away from another figure distinctly wearing Brynjir's clothing although wearing Rolandier's face, is kneeling, grasping at its neck, visibly choking. And Rolandier looks at the three of them, lingering especially long on the third statue, and turns and leaves. And the statues fade once more into the shiver of fog and dust. Rinier will go forward. The first statue of him is Rinier with his arms outstretched, holding another person by the neck, and another body on the floor, and it appears as though he has tears coming down his eyes. The next statue is Brynjir with a bottle, and just looking as though he is in a a drunken stupor. And uh, the third is Brynjir with his hand stretched out as though he is wanting to save something. Brynjir gets up and walks away. And the pedestal is clear once more, leaving only Bartholomew behind the threshold. Uh, Bartholomew sees the pedestal, realizes it does not involve drinking blood. It's feeling pretty good. And uh, goes to it, upon which he sees three very clear images. The first one is, uh, it's, it's him. He has a stern, almost angry face, you know, almost wrathful. And he's wielding a whip, which he is actively hitting himself with the second is 
uh, a much smaller Bartholomew kind of crouched in on himself, subtly whispering to what appears to be, you know, like if there were more to the statue, it would be a second person, but it's just him. He's just whispering off to the, the corner. And the third is a great 10 foot tall bear, just massive in every way that it could possibly be massive. And it doesn't physically look like Bartholomew, but if anyone's paying attention, I don't know if you know the whole group is looking at everyone's statues and being like, oh, this is interesting. I wonder what that means. Or if everyone's kind of like, oh, this is sort of a private thing. Maybe I'll leave it to them. If anyone's paying attention, you look at it and you're like, oh, it's Bartholomew, but it's also a bear. Um, and upon seeing these three statues, it's like something snaps in Bartholomew's head. If Brynir is paying attention, he might have seen something snap like this in Bartholomew's head before. If not, who knows? And Bartholomew collapses onto the ground and immediately starts mumbling to himself. I was just like, there's no way that that could... Yeah, no, that's, that's not... And he's completely useless. He's out of it. He's mumbling. He's scratching his face. He can't even get up to stand up and move. He is staring at the giant bear with a, such an abject horror that I'm not going to say he's clawing his eyes out, but if someone didn't hold his hands, he might get there. Before anyone can actually move to Barty's assistance, it's the creature that brought you here that takes him and pulls him from the circle as this great bear and the other statues fade. It awkwardly cradles him as Bartholomew continues to scratch and sob. And it looks to the rest of you and it says, He's overcome with the trepidation of things that have been and are yet to be. We will take him from here and let his sin flow. I'm sorry, you are taking him from us. You are free to continue and meet the infant sin. This one is not ready. But we will meet up with him after. You're not taking him for good. Your friend merely requires treatment. Is he going to become like the others outside? No. He will only become ready to face that which he has done and rot. Rolandier's fist clenches around the sword, which he still has drawn up to this point, has been twiddling it about quite playfully. And there begin to be small embers flickering across it. And then he relaxes his grip, looks at the others... We need to keep going. We are here for one purpose only. Bartholomew has made his choice, and he sheathes his, his sword. Cad steps back and puts a hand on Bartholomew's shoulder and tries to kind of stoop down to his level. He's like, Barty, Barty, we'll be back for you. All right? Can you hear me? He gets no response from Bartholomew, completely in his own world. After hearing Cad's words, Brynir will say, You can count on that specifically turning his head away from Orlandir. Then, without further ado, this steward that has brought you thus far leads Barty down a separate corridor. You see an iron gate of a door creak open and softly shut behind them as Barty's sobs fade against the stone. And you are left alone at the end of this hall, past the dais and the pedestals, 
where a set of double doors awaits you. The wood already streaked with blood and covered in rusting iron spikes. Now fully turning towards the group, sword sheathed, this expansive hallway before him. Rolander readies himself. Well, obviously we don't know what exactly is yet to come, but we know why we're here. We'll go back for Barty, but we have one thing to do first. I think it lies down there. And with his stump of a right hand, he braces it against the door and pushes it open. 